0: Well, if you have a copy of God's Word in front of you, if you would, please open to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians 3. We're going to read the first five verses. Remember, if you don't know where 2 Thessalonians is, it's okay to use the table of contents. You kind of go to the middle of your Bible, you'll see Psalms, you can start heading to the right. You'll get into the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Keep going, keep going. You'll see 1 Thessalonians, then you'll see 2 Thessalonians. And if you're unfamiliar with how to find things in the Bible, you find the book first, 2 Thessalonians. This is the letter we're going to read of Paul. Then you want to look for chapter 3. That's the big number 3. And we're going to read the first five verses of 2 Thessalonians. And I know it seems silly that I do the same thing each week, telling people how to get there, but you'd be shocked at how many people, they don't know how to find things in the Scripture. And so hopefully you can have that there in front of you. as so we continue on just verse by verse by verse through this letter of Paul. We've already looked at 1 Thessalonians. We're closing in on finishing up 2 Thessalonians. We're actually going to look at 2 Thessalonians. We're actually going to finish it next week, next Sunday. So the question then becomes, well, what are we going to do between then and Advent? I'll tell you, next week. That's called a teaser. I do have a plan, but, uh, so I'm not going to tell you about it now. But we'll, we'll finish up 2 Thessalonians next week. I don't know if you saw a recent uh, TV commercial that's gone around that talked about how like every good idea seems crazy at first. You may have seen this commercial. It's been in rotation recently. Like an example of that is, wait, you're going to let people do their own banking on their own phone? You know, it seems like such a crazy idea at the time. It says every bold or every every good idea seems crazy at, at first until it isn't. And you can probably think maybe of another thing in your own life, in your everyday life, this, this other good idea that seemed crazy at first, but now it's a part of your kind of normal everyday life. I Think about, remember when Steve Jobs came and showed the brand new iPhone and it had just like one little button on it. And he said, you don't need up and down buttons, you just use your finger. And now how ubiquitous that's been. It's weird to actually have a phone that has any physical buttons on the front of it. It seemed crazy at first, but now it's just become ubiquitous and it's everywhere. Think about the first time you saw, wait a second, I can put this little pod in this machine and make a single cup of coffee by hitting a button? That's crazy. Who's going to do that? That's nuts. How many of us have Keurig pots or have interacted with one of those at some point? You know, where you put the little individual pod in and you make a cup of coffee. You know, every good idea seems crazy at first until it isn't. Let me tell you about a guy who was a... Missionary, a British missionary to China in the mid late 19th century. His name was Hudson Taylor. You may have heard of him, this great missionary. He's mostly associated with the evangeliz- evangelization of China and the founding of a missions organization that was originally called China Inland Missions. It's now called Overseas Missionary Fellowship. I actually had a seminary friend of mine who actually went to work with this organization after they graduated. And one of the hallmarks of, this particular, min, of the, this particular ministry is they never ask for direct financial support. What they do is they go and they pray about it. And then they trust that if the Lord wants them to do it, the Lord's going to bring the funds. And I remember talking to this person and they were getting ready to go overseas and were praying for the Lord to bring financial support. They're still on the field all these years later. So the Lord's been faithful when you think about Hudson Taylor, one of his famous quotes has been a friend to me all week. You know, you have these moments where life just is overwhelming. You may have felt these moments. You know, I had a few of these moments this past week where, you know, just thinking about the, the, the state of our church and just all the needs in our, you know, in our community and around the world. And, you know, I'm just, I felt my own weakness. Uh, like, who am I to, to do this? One of his quotes has been a good friend to me all week. Here's what Hudson Taylor said. When I cannot read, when I cannot think, when I cannot even pray, I can trust. Isn't that a good quote? Here's another one of his famous quotes as it pertains to this good idea that seems crazy at first. Here's what he said. He said, there are three stages to every great work of God. First it's impossible, then it's difficult, then it's done. Great Hudson Taylor quote. First it seems impossible, then it seems difficult, but then it's done. You think about his own life and you go back and study the life of Hudson Taylor. It was kind of that that quote encapsulated in his life. And as you know, if you've been hanging around for very long, we've been studying Paul's two separate letters to the small Christian church in the first century Greek port city of Thessalonica, which still exists even today. And this church had experienced suffering and confusion. This group of Christians who were gathered together, they had experienced suffering and confusion and persecution in this major Macedonian city known for rampant pagan idolatry. You know, as we said, it was in the shadow of Mount Olympus. It was oftentimes the, the major port where people who were coming in who were going to do their pilgrimage to Mount Olympus, where the great Greek pantheon of gods sat enthroned. They would come through Thessalonica. You had this group of Christians who were there who were claiming that, you know, that, that pantheon of gods up there on Mount Olympus is nothing more than just a There is one true and living God. There's one God. They were exclaiming this mono-theistic you know, view of life, that there's one God who exists. And in the, the shadow of Mount Olympus, they had experienced a lot of suffering and confusion. We've read about that as Paul is trying to encourage them along the way. But actually, in the shadow of Mount Olympus, a good, actually the best idea had crept in. And it was the gospel of Jesus Christ that came through the preaching of Paul and the power of the Holy Spirit. This little idea that came in that to the surrounding world seemed absolutely crazy at the time. Then that idea had spread to the surrounding countryside because it seemed crazy at first until lives actually started being radically transformed by the gospel, so much so that this little group of Christians who were there, people started taking notice of the change that had happened in their lives, and they said, something's different about these people. And then that, that message just continued to spread through the surrounding countryside, and once, what had once started as a little pebble was now making waves in the larger Greco-Roman world. And as the gospel continued to spread throughout the larger known world, it eventually crossed oceans, and it made its way even to our own corner of Alabama where it continues to reverberate even now. And what seemed like a crazy idea at the time in the first century, it's now a part of our everyday lives. But instead of touting his missionary and apostolic bona fides, Paul shows his heart for this congregation and his humility as the one who called himself the chief of sinners by asking this group of Christians to pray for him and his companions as they continued to share the gospel. He said, would you please pray for us in these ways as we've been here with you? We're con- you know the work that we're doing. We know that life is hard for you. It's also hard for us. Would you please pray for us as we continue to-, to share this idea that seems crazy? And he mentions a few specific things and asks them to pray for them. And I want you to see if you can spot them. Okay, so let's look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Let's see, what is Paul asking this church to pray for? What is he asking them to pray about? That's what we're going to look at this morning. So let's look at first, uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. And that that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and and to the steadfastness of Christ. The grass withers, the flower fades... But the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray and ask the Lord's help. Please pray with me. Oh, Holy Spirit, as we come, we ask and pray that you would take these words and apply them to our hearts. Lord, help us to dwell upon the steadfastness of Christ. Help us to dwell upon your faithfulness to your people. Father, we pray that you would be glorified. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would change our hearts. Challenge us. Convict us, O oh Lord. Help us to leave here changed by the power of the gospel. We humbly pray and ask these things in Christ's precious name. Amen. Amen. Now, as we look at this very short passage in 2 Thessalonians, I want us to focus on really the two main parts of his appeal. These are going to be our two points this morning if you're taking notes. Number one, we're going to see a call to prayer for the gospel. So a call to prayer for the gospel and the second point is a call for confidence in the gospel. So a call for prayer for the gospel and then a call for confidence in the gospel. Those are the two things we're going to look at. So let's look at our first point, a call to prayer for the gospel. This is basically verses 1 and 2 with a little bleed over into verse 3. So remember, this passage is connected to the previous section that we looked at last week, the entirety of, section of, entirety of chapter 2 which ended with Paul's prayer for comfort, grace, and hope for this church in their struggle to understand the second coming of Christ and in their larger struggle with persecution. Remember, this, this book is split up into three sections, big sections, and each one kind of ends with a prayer. And last week we saw, as Paul was asking them to dwell upon this kingdom that cannot be shaken, remember we, end, we ended last week's worship with the, with the song, He never shakes, he never shakes, and he never will. And we looked at that, that idea Paul is praying and asking the Lord to solidify them and strengthen them in their struggles. And in chapter 2, verses 13 to 17, Paul reminds them of the unshakable truths, this doctrine that he has been teaching them that should bolster them. He reminds them of their effectual calling. He reminds them of their union with Christ. He reminds them of this work of sanctification, that the Holy Spirit has begun a good work in them and will carry that work on until the day of completion. He reminds them of these great core truths, this doctrine of the gospel reminds them of that and then prays for them. And the first major section of the letter, which is the entirety of chapter 1, also concluded with Paul's prayer for these Christians to be strong in the face of opposition and for Christ to be glorified in their faithful witness. And so now, at the beginning of this final section of the letter, Paul asks for prayer for himself, Silas, and Timothy as they continue their ministry in the larger Greco-Roman world in the ancient Near East. And notice what he asked them. He asked them to pray, quote, "...that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you." What he's asking them to do, in essence, is to pray that the gospel message would continue to spread and be unhindered. And that Greek word there for speed ahead, the Greek word there is trecho, and it's actually an athletic term for running. So he says, may it run ahead like a runner and and be accepted." And he says, "...and may the word of the Lord also be honored." That Greek word there is the word doxadso, which is where we get doxology from, which is this song of praise and glory. And so he's asking, "...may it speed ahead and may this message as it is received be glorified in your lives." And continuing the athletic metaphor, "...a winning runner captures the hearts of the people who watch them." And then they are honored as a result. You can think about these great come-from-behind stories. If you see like a, a track race that happens, you know, this person that comes from behind and you're cheering them on and then they finally win and it kind of captures your heart and your affections. And then that runner is crowned and you can imagine in the, in the kind of, you think about pictures of the ancient Olympics, they would actually take like a, a twisted crown of, you know, flowers and something like that and put it upon their head and they would honor those who ran And so Paul is asking the Thessalonians to pray that the gospel message would spread rapidly, that it would be unhindered, but that it would also win the hearts of those who hear it, just as it did with them when God called them to himself by the power of the Holy Spirit. And this continues to be the prayer of all Christians when we think about evangelism and missions. You know, we think about all the ways that we pray that Lord, would you please bless these people as they share the gospel? May the gospel be unhindered in their efforts. May may it find, you know, we talk about like the good soil of the heart. May this gospel message be received by your spirit. We continue to pray for this exact thing as we think about the gospel going abroad and even in our own community. And we want others to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And we pray that God would continue to regenerate hearts and call sinners to himself why because this is our story too god has done this for us has sought us out has regenerated us those who trust christ by faith this is our story and just as we have been impacted by the gospel and are continually shaped by the gospel our prayer is that those who don't know the lord would come to know the lord that they would come to know the best news that humanity could ever hear which is the gospel of Jesus Christ for a bunch of broken, messed up people like us. When you think about that Hudson Taylor quote, that's the story of our salvation, right? At first, it seemed impossible. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. What seems to be impossible on the surface, the Lord is at work. Then it becomes difficult. You think about the most difficult part of that where the Father... Gave his only son to go die for those people. And the son being obedient to the father, even to the point of death, death on a cross. What seemed impossible was then difficult. But then, at the cross, it's done, is it not? When the words, it is finished, were pronounced by Christ in his dying breath, his work of of redemption was finished. It seemed impossible, then it was difficult, but then it was done. That's our story. We rest in that promise. We rest in those words, those who trust Christ by faith. We rest in those words, it is finished. This thing that seemed impossible, seemed crazy, but now it's done and we rest. That's our story too. And so we pray for that as the gospel goes out. Lord, please do that in the hearts and lives of people around the globe, those who do not know you. Lord, please do that work. Please help them see the beauty of the gospel. You see that the... What what Paul is asking these Christians to pray about is still going on even to this day. And we pray, Lord, please, may that continue until you come back. We see in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And when you think about if you were here and you trust Christ this morning by faith, aren't you glad that God sent someone, somebody, to tell you the good news of the gospel? Aren't you glad that that the Lord sent somebody into your path? that just shared with you the simple gospel and the Holy Spirit just worked. Aren't you glad for that person? I can think of people that have encouraged me and loved me along the way. I can think about my own young life director who asked me the hard question, you know, if the standard question, if you were to die tonight, how in the world do you possibly have any assurance of salvation? I'm grateful that the Lord laid that upon Adam Selner's heart many years ago to ask me that question to my face. And I hope you are grateful for those the Lord has put in your path along the way to share with you the good news of the gospel. And may we be faithful to that. May we trust the Lord in the midst of that. You know, we think about evangelism and missions, and we think, well, I'm not as biblically literate, and I'm not as good as a public speaker, and I'm not a... You know, we trust the Lord is sovereign, that when it is, it is time for Him to change a human heart, He is going to do it. And we're faithful to just go set the table and say, look, here's how the Lord has changed my heart. We say one of the most powerful testimonies that you can have as you seek to share your faith with other people is what God has done in your own heart. Say, let me tell you the best news I ever heard. Let me tell you and show you this thing that has radically changed my life and continues to shape me. That's what Paul's praying for, asking them, please pray. Please pray that as the gospel has come to you, that it would come to others in this powerful way. Please pray that it would run ahead and be unhindered, and pray that we would be faithful to go and share the gospel. Here's what James Grant Jr. said in his commentary. He said, in this particular passage, Paul explains something important about God's plan, prayer and the power of God's word. And although we must affirm that God is in control of everything, we are still responsible to pray. Notice Paul asked them to pray. Prayer is a great privilege. And those who have been called to preach or do evangelism, missions, etc., just as Paul is asking, they need our prayers. Not because they're super Christians. Far from it. But because they are weak like everyone else and they face discouragement. And Paul is saying, please pray for us. And we pray for all those who are, are seeking to share the gospel. And we need our own prayer. We need to pray ourselves. It's a great privilege to come before the Lord and to pray to Him, knowing that He hears us. What an amazing thing. You ever thought about that? We go before the Lord and we pray that He hears our prayers. It's, it's amazing when we think about it. Look at verse 2. We're only one verse in. Let's keep going. Verse 2. Paul also talks about another reality for anyone seeking to share the gospel with others. He talks about the attacks of wicked and evil men. And that word, that Greek word translated wicked is atapos. It's a really rare word in the New Testament. It, what it refers to is something that's out of place, something that's kind of twisted and bent. It's, it doesn't look the way it should. And the world is full of people who are in league with Satan and who actively oppose the gospel the kingdom of God, and by default, they oppose the people of God, any of those who are associated. And as we have seen, these attacks can come from both outside and inside the visible church. We saw that last week in chapter 2. And so we should not be surprised by this opposition when it comes. Satan is currently in his death throes and is lashing out as the kingdom of God continues to expand as the Holy Spirit continues to call God's chosen people to Himself at their appointed time. Here's where verse 4 of the great hymn, The Church's One Foundation, comes in. You know, we love singing these old hymns in the Presbyterian church. You know, we love these old hymns with lots of words. And the reason we love these old hymns is we're reminded of the great truths of Scripture as we sing them. What we sing shapes us. These songs that we sing, they... They kind of lodge in you, and you'll find that they're good friends to you in your times of need. Here's what verse 4 of the great hymn, The Church is One Foundation, it's incredibly comforting. It says, The church shall never perish. Her dear Lord to defend, to guide, sustain, and cherish is with her to the end. Though there there be those who hate her and false sons in her pale, against the foe or traitor she ever shall prevail." The gates of hell will never prevail against the church because the Lord watches over it. And the Lord is bringing all things to this final day when he comes back to judge both the the living and the dead. And he is with his church until the very end. The church shall never perish. Why? Because her dear Lord defends it. Ladies and gentlemen, that is your reality this morning. That is your reality. And we rest in that. It's incredibly comforting. And so we ask, what bolsters us as we continue to see wickedness and evil in the world around us. We're praying and Paul asking that first point, Lord, please use this gospel as it goes forth. It's a prayer for the gospel's advancement is what it is. And he's saying, there are these attacks of these evil ones that are coming against us as we seek to minister. And Paul is saying they're coming against you as you're seeking to reach out to the world around you. And so, the question we ask is, we see that wickedness and evil. Do you not see it in the world around you? That's why the This passage is just as applicable today as it ever has been. What bolsters us in the midst of that when we see wickedness and evil seemingly prevail? What bolsters us in those moments? That's our second point. This is a call for confidence in the gospel, verses 3, 4, and 5. A call for confidence in the gospel. Look at verse 3. Let's reread that again. He says, But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. You think against the backdrop of the lack of faith of these wicked ones, did you see that he says, Well, I mean, you you see at the tail end of, I think, verse two, for not all have faith. (laughs) Yeah, we know, Paul. Thanks. Appreciate that. So you see, against the backdrop of those who are opposed to the gospel, those who hate God, what do we get a shining picture of against as sharp contrast? Lord is faithful. He is faithful in all things. You see the faithfulness of God. And it's set in sharp contrast to the lack of faith of these wicked people. It's almost like we've talked about before, the diamond being placed on the black velvet mat. Then and only then can the luster of the diamond begin to really sparkle when you place it against something uh, dark. And so against the darkness and the evil and the wickedness of those who hate the gospel... We see the faithfulness of God shining forth all the more. We have confidence in the faithfulness of God. He always keeps his word. Always. Always. I feel like it's my job to remind you of that every week. Guess what? God's made promises and he's faithful. So trust him. See you next week. So how do you know that God always keeps His Word? How do we know that? How in the world could we possibly know that God keeps His Word? Well, number one, you have the Scripture there put in front of you, you know, that's written by multiple authors over hundreds and hundreds of years, spread throughout, and it fits together as though one person made it, and it makes promises about our future, but then it also shows us that God has been faithful to His Word. We read about that this morning in our Confession. And the assurance of pardoning grace. That was from Isaiah 53, the suffering servant. So there's this one that's going to come. And he's going to lay down his life. And by his wounds we've been healed. That was written hundreds of years before Christ ever came on the scene. And Christ is the fulfillment of that. And he's made promises moving forward. And we rest in that. But how do we know that God keeps his word? Here's a great quote by Sinclair Ferguson. It'll be in the reflection questions if you didn't write it, write it down. Totally fine. Here's what Sinclair Ferguson says. When you look at the cross, what do you see? You see God's awesome faithfulness. Nothing, not even the instinct to spare his own son will turn him back from keeping his word. Aren't you thankful for that? Our confidence comes in the faithfulness of God. It comes in the content of his word. Paul would later write a letter to the same Timothy mentioned earlier in this letter. And here's what he wrote, 2 Timothy 1, 8-10. Here's what Paul wrote. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. He says, dwell upon these things. Think upon these things. Our confidence today is grounded in the exact same thing, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ in the cross. That is where our confidence lies now. Not in our effort, not in our level of faithfulness, Not in our social status, not in our bank account, not in our academic performance, not in our family names. Our confidence that will last beyond the grave and into eternity is in Christ and Christ alone. That's it. Anything you add to the end of that equation that includes an I and a me, you missed it. It's in Christ, it's in His faithfulness, not in yours. And once that gets in your bones, it changes everything. Because, see, many of you have grown up or you still think that somehow I need to put my faithfulness in. And when my certain level of faithfulness is reached, then and only then will God bless me. That is not how the gospel works. Do you remember question one that we asked the new members? What do you have to admit? Very, The very first thing you have to admit is I'm a bad person and I have fallen short of the glory of God. Question two, that Jesus is my only hope. That's it, ladies and gentlemen. And you think about this gospel confidence that Paul had. If you take an honest assessment of your life this morning, where is your confidence grounded, really? Where is your confidence grounded? What grounds your hope and your confidence this morning? Is it your bank account? Is it your family name? Is it how obedient you're being? Is it how many times you come in this building? What is it? What is the grounds of your confidence this morning? The bad news and good news is that if it's anything other than the finished work of Christ, it will ultimately fail you. If it's anything other than what Christ has done, it will fail you. That is simultaneously terrible news, but also wonderful news at the same time. There will always be, quote-unquote, fake saviors competing for your confidence and affections. There will always be fake saviors saying, look to me, look to me and live. This is the thing that's going to complete you. This is the thing that's going to make you worthy. There's plenty of fake saviors out there competing for your confidence and affections. And just know that that fake savior could be the person staring you back in the mirror every morning. It could be you. It has to be Christ and Christ alone, not in our effort. And the Apostle Paul knew this very well. Philippians 3, 4-9. Paul wrote, though I, have myself, "...though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless." But whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith." Here's the bad news. The bad news is anything else other than Christ that you place your full weight and confidence in is going to fail you. The money will run out. The relationship may break up. Whatever it is. Your athletic ability, trust me, it's going to go downhill. Okay? As we've said before, you will reach a certain age where you hurt yourself while you're sleeping. That's always a good thought, right? Like I think I reached for something weird yesterday and hurt my neck. And I look back, I'm like, I don't even know what I did. But it wasn't that difficult, but now my neck hurts. So anything else that we look to in Christ, that this is the ground of confidence that I have, this is the thing that's going to make me worthy in the end. Anything other than Christ is going to fail you. That's the bad news. But the good news is this. There's one who will never fail you. And he rules and reigns over a kingdom that will not be shaken. And we can trust Him. And we look to Him and Him alone. That's it. It's the simple gospel. Christ and Christ alone. Rinse and repeat. Again, that's one of those see you next week. Same thing. Look to Christ, trust in Christ, rest in Christ. Our confidence is in Christ and Christ alone. We trust Him by faith alone. Look at verse 4. Paul sees the faithfulness of the Thessalonian church and he's encouraged to know That God is continually at work in him. He has, quote, confidence in the Lord. That God will keep guard and complete the work he began in them. Why? Because God is faithful to his word and his covenant promises. Always. We see a similar statement of confidence in the benediction of 1 Thessalonians. Here's what Paul wrote to the same group of people. He said, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you and completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful and he will surely do it. Bingo. That's it. Now Paul offers another brief prayer of benediction for these Christians in verse 5. Look at what he says. Almost done. Here's what he says in verse 5. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. There is so much packed into that sentence, we don't have time to go through it. But here's what he says. Paul asked God to direct their hearts. The Greek word there is katathuno, which is basically keep, make the way straight, remove all hindrances. The same kind of idea that he had when he was saying may the gospel go unhindered, You know, he is saying this about them. May God make straight and remove all the hindrances that may come to you. But direct their hearts to what? Okay, so may he make the way clear, but to what? The love of God towards them and the steadfastness of Christ, even in the midst of present suffering, doubt, and confusion. And so you look at this and we ask the question, okay, so what? Well, the call is exactly the same today. It's look to Christ Even when you feel like the room is spinning, when it feels like life is spinning, you ever played the Dizzy Lizzy game where you put the bat on your head and you spin around a lot and you get really dizzy and you look up? What do you do to regain your kind of composure in the midst of that? You focus on something that's fixed and immovable, right? You come up and the world's spinning and what you do is you find a tree or something and you stare at it. And as you stare at it and look to it, the room kind of starts becoming less dizzy, that's what he's asking here. Focus on something that's fixed. Here's something that's fixed. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Here's the good news. Okay, You want something that will bolster you when life seems like it's spinning? Here it is. The spiritual adoption papers have already been signed. Already been signed. Done. He has adopted you by faith into his family if you trust Christ. And those papers are signed and nothing, nothing's going to change it. Nothing. You are in his family. When he said, I love you, and we are now his children, you can take that to the bank. Rest in the love of God. You are his forgiven child because of Christ. You don't have to keep working to maintain your adoption. It's finished. Rest, rest, rest. It's done. Romans 5, 1-6. Hear the gospel. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance Endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. What does Paul ask these people who are being assaulted every day by wickedness and evil and persecution and slander? What does he ask them to focus upon? It's verse 5. May the Lord direct your hearts to two things. To the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, those are the two things we still look to today. We still look and we rest in the love of God that has been given to us. And we rest in the steadfastness of Christ, not ourselves. We focus on the gospel. We focus on Christ. We trust in him. And then we ask for the Lord's help to put one foot in front of the other and to keep going until he either returns in glory or he calls us home, rinse and repeat. The the Christian life is nothing more than a long obedience in the same direction. And we focus upon the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ, that he was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, to rescue and redeem Broken, messed up people like us. That's the gospel. It's beautifully simple, is it not? But yet so deep and rich, you'll spend the rest of your life contemplating it. But here's the thing. When life gets tough, when you want to give up, when you've had one of those days like I had on Tuesday, where you just wake up and you're like, oh, I just don't want to do this anymore. We have those days where the world seems like it's spinning out of control, and we lose heart, and we get discouraged. Remember this quote by Hudson Taylor. When I cannot read, when I cannot think, when I cannot even pray, I can trust. That's it. That's it. Look to Christ, rest in Christ, trust in Christ. He's good and he's faithful always and forever. I hope you're grateful for that. I am. And we'll finish up this book next week. Let me pray for us now. Father, thank you for your kindness and your goodness, and Lord, we pray that by your Spirit you would direct our hearts, because we're so quick to forget, you would make the way clear, that you would direct our hearts to dwell upon your love for us, and to dwell upon the steadfastness of Christ, that he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, And we look forward to that day when at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We do pray for those even now who are seeking to share the gospel in really hard places. And we pray that you would please be with them. We pray for our own efforts to go and to share the love and the gospel of Christ with those in our family, our places of work, our neighborhoods, all those people that we come into contact with. And help us, Lord, to rest in your sovereignty. Help us to rest in the finished work of Christ. Lord, help us to uh, flee away from all those fake saviors, those things that want to steal our affections of our hearts and say, well, if you'll only get this, then your life will be happy. Help us to remember, O Lord, that only you are the great unshakable one. Lord, you will never leave us nor forsake us. You will never disappoint us because you're faithful to the end. And Lord, may our hearts dwell upon that as we rest and trust in you. We pray and ask these things humbly in Christ's precious name. Amen.